Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I'm here with Christina Lamb, and um, we've been trying to connect for a very long time. Um, and actually, we we crossed paths at least once, but once I know of in Sebring, because I came by to to see you there and it was i believe it was an scca weekend racing weekend in sebring yes um but you do way more than that so i am excited to hear um tell me a little bit about what's going on for you right now related to racing um oh boy so yeah we met at sebring a couple years ago um, and we did a lot of SCCA majors, super tour stuff together. <clears throat> we did India runoffs together. Uh, and since then I've done, um, I've actually done a lot of BMW CCA stuff. Uh, so I started to do BMW CCA sometime last year. And, um, I started out doing co-drives with some friends. They have an enduro during their race weekends and it's a 90 minute enduro with a pit stop. So that usually allows for a co-driver. Uh, so I was able to hop in a couple of different cars, which was very fun. And I was like, you know, I have a lot of friends in the CCA crowd, um, our mutual friend, Krista. And uh, I was like, I have not actually gotten the chance to really race these people. And they've been friends for so many years. Uh, and so in December, I was like, all right, I'm going to bring my my E46 M3 uh, down to Roebling and finally get to race with with some of these really great friends. Uh, and since then, I've been hooked. Uh, it's a great paddock and uh, wonderful people. And I actually just got back home from Roebling about two hours ago. Oh, wow. um, and so it's uh, it's been a lot of really great racing. We did road uh, we did road Atlanta in March. Uh, I had to skip the IR in April because I had some back issues. Uh, I did get to race uh, an NSX GT3 race car. Uh, which was which has been the highlight of the year so far. Uh, so a lot of cool, a lot of new stuff going on this year in 2023. Awesome. Tell me now. I know what happened, but I, you know, I want you to share what happened with the NSX car and the location, and you know how you did. Yeah. So the NSX was a super cool experience. Um, there's a there's a team that got put together and they are planning to campaign this car. Uh, the team is CDR Valkyrie. Uh, they are looking to campaign this car in SRO and eventually IMSA. So they they bought the car. They had done some testing and they wanted some actual race practice, but uh, they were looking for practice for pit stops for SRO, that kind of stuff. So nothing really beats i mean you can do those pit stops in your garage you can do mock driver changes but nothing really uh really emulates that like a real race so they uh signed up to do the six hours at button willow and they said hey come out and drive with us uh and so i've i've never driven a gt3 car before and so my first time driving a gt3 car was actually friday practice the day before the race um so it was like drinking from a fire hose uh, but the team was on point. The car was great. It was flawless. I had amazing co-drivers. Uh, we were able to get a win out of that after six hours. 
driving in dusty button willow uh so it was a real awesome way to kind of debut the car for the team um and a just real success for the team yeah that's that's fantastic so um with the gt3 other than obviously acceleration and speed like tell tell me some of the differences that are just different than your bmw yeah absolutely so uh, you know, I wouldn't even say that the speed was that mind blowing. I mean, it, it the car sounds great, obviously, yeah. um, but I, speed wise, I wouldn't say that blew me out of the water. Uh, what did really impress me was the amount of mechanical grip and aero that the car had. Uh, that was something that it surpassed anything that I had ever driven. So there was definitely a steep learning curve when it came to finding the limit of that car. Uh, the other thing that was majorly different from most of the cars that we see in, um, you know, in SCCA or BMW is, uh, you know, they were manual brakes. And so uh, that was full left foot brake during the entire six hour race, uh, you know, left foot on the brake pedal. And you had to really just stand on the brake pedal in order to get this car stopped. Uh, no brake booster on it. Uh, and it was definitely a very different experience. Uh, what was super cool about it was that they did have motorsports ABS, obviously, in this GT3 car. And you could literally just mash this gas pedal or mash the brake pedal as hard as you needed to. And the magic would happen. And uh, I mean, it, the car just did things that were unreal. Um, and combined with the arrow, uh, it was just uh, it the, it had grip that really just it felt like it was going to rip the skin of your your face off as you drove it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so, it, but it's purposeful to have it manual brake, right? Because otherwise, uh, you wouldn't be able to do would, like not having a manual brake. Does that diminish the performance somehow? Um, I mean, there's there's arguments both ways. Uh, like in my E46, there are, there are a lot of people who take out the brake booster and they go for manual brakes. Um, I think it's a personal preference kind of thing. Uh, I personally leave the brake booster in my car because smarter people than me developed my car at BMW. And so uh, I don't try to outsmart a team of engineers who spent many years developing that. Uh, but there are definitely benefits to having uh, an unboosted brake setup. You can change the bias, which is really important, especially in these GT3 cars. Uh, as you're doing an endurance race, you have, you know, you don't have to worry about the the balance changing on the car. As you know, you wear the brakes, you wear the tires. Uh, with a with a just click of the dial, you can essentially change the balance, and um, you know, it would be like having new brakes just by changing the balance. So uh, that would definitely be a huge advantage in terms of uh, setup there. So one thing that I'm, um, I'm, it's interesting, you did so well with the left foot braking. I've never done that. So it, wasn't it hard to get used to, or did you, do you do that in some other vehicle? <laughs> so I do left foot brake, but not, not regularly uh, in my car. Usually if there's a turn where you just need to tap the brakes and set the car, but you really want to just keep the car you know, pegged with a throttle. Um, I'll do it there. Like I'll do it at Sebring um, to kind of set the car in in those little like three, four, or five section. Mm -hmm. um, but I I don't regularly left foot brake. I think there is a huge advantage uh, if you if you do it on a regular basis. Uh, but uh, I 
I actually got used to the the full full time left foot braking very quickly. It's uh, it's very akin to driving a go kart, uh, where you know brakes on one side, gas on the other, and uh, it, that's just what you have. Uh, you actually cannot drive that car if you don't left foot brake because you have so much speed and the time it takes to go from the gas over to the brake and the amount of pressure you need to immediately give it, you would just lose way too much time and it, it would not work. Yeah, that is that is awesome. Now, is that is that for most GT3 cars, is that pretty standard? Um, I think that a lot of them do have that setup. I don't know if it's across the board for all of them. Yeah, okay. So um, let's see, you BMW CCA, how has that season been going for you? Other than, you know, I know that you were out VIR because you're back. Yeah, um, so Road Atlanta was great. Um, started off the season with uh, three wins in the class. Uh, I, you know, I finished second overall uh, one of the races, which was really cool. Uh, usually, I mean, we don't encourage any sort of inner class racing, but uh, I was able to get past a couple of the, the BMOD guys who are running M2 uh, CS racing, uh, their factory built race cars. Uh, there was one of my friends running a F80 M3, and that was a home-built, absolute missile of a BMOD car. Uh, I think he said that he's putting close to 600 down to the wheel, uh, which is almost double what I make. I, I make like 350 on a good day. Uh, but it was super cool to just see these two different cars uh, out on track. Uh, he, he definitely weighs a lot more, so uh, there were advantages and disadvantages to each of our setups. Uh, but overall, really fun time. That's actually the first time I really got to race for Atlanta. Um, I have done a lot of instructing there, a lot of coaching with Skip Barber Racing. Uh, but this was actually the first time that I got to race my own car there. So uh, a ton of fun. Um, I, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and hopefully a couple more people in the class will show up and hopefully I get to race Cresta there too. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so uh, how many how many races do you have planned for the rest of the year? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure. Uh, initially, I was just going to do a couple here and there, but uh, the team wants me to go for a run for the championship. So I might end up doing a couple more extra uh, races than I planned. Right now, I am leading the championship in CMOD. Um, so Shree Racing has owned the CMOD uh, championship for, I think, five or six years now. And so uh, they didn't get it last year. And so they're looking to bring that championship back to the team this year. Uh, so I am doing Summit Point next month. Uh, I will be doing Red Atlanta in August. Um, and I think maybe a, maybe Roebling or something uh, in December. So I think the top top 15 races count towards your towards your championship. And so I'll, I'll do as many as I can. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, right now I'm planning, I, I don't know off the top of my head if I'm going to Atlanta race, but I, I do plan on going to the Roebling race in uh, December because it'll be the last oh. one I'm visiting. So that'll be fun. Cool. I look forward to seeing you there then. Um, well, okay. So tell me how, how you got started, how you got into this, the, kind of the progression through everything. Yeah. Um, so uh, my story is a little, I guess it's a little funny. Uh, definitely not typical. 
Um, my family is very stereotypical. We are very academic, um, it, like to a fault. Uh, it's, you know, there's a reason that stereotype exists and it, it, like it's literally my parents. Um, but, uh, you know, I came out of college and I bought myself a BMW. I was like, I make money and, you know, buy this car. And I, the only thing I knew about it was that it was pretty. I bought a 328. Uh, it was an E90 328 all wheel drive. Um, and I was like, oh, cool. Like I have this nice car and I did a little bit of research on it and I figured out the chassis was an E90 and, you know, probably just knowing that I knew more about my car than most of those car owners, but, uh, I started to dig a little deeper and, um, I just wanted to learn about my car. So I started going to like car meets after work, uh, thinking that like, Hey, maybe like these people will know a lot about cars. And I, you know, it wasn't quite my, wasn't quite my crowd. Cause they were like, they were like kind of street racing at night. Um, and you know, I, I had like the 328, uh, and I was like, all right, well, you know, not really my crowd, but you know, I'm learning stuff from them. And what really kickstarted it was visiting a friend in Germany. Uh, and he was like, Hey, you, you know, you got this cool, nice BMW at home. Let's go take a look at the BMW museum and let's go to the Nürburgring. And so I was like, yeah, cool. That, that sounds great. Like, you know, we went to the museum and, uh, I learned a ton about BMW history, uh, you know, I knew nothing about cars at the time. We we went to the Nurburgring, and I mean, honest, like the 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 words Nurburgring, like I had heard them, uh, but it didn't mean anything to me. Uh, I was like, cool, like I've heard of this place, and it's supposed to be famous. And I was in Germany, so I was like, sure, why not? Like, let's go look at stuff. Um, and he was like, all right, well, let's go rent a car and like drive it, and like that'll be our activity for the day. And so we went to a place called Red for Ring, which is still there. And we rented a Suzuki Swift race car. <clears throat> and uh, I was like, I was very, very under uh, underprepared for this. Um, it was like a full on race car. Uh, it had like Toyo slicks on it. It had, it was caged. It had harnesses, like seats. It had, it was a whole shebang. It had like a little wing on the back. Um, and I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. And um, suddenly I got concerned because I looked at the car and I was like, oh, it's manual. And at the time I did not know how to drive manual transmission. And I was not about to admit to this guy that I did not know how to drive manual transmission because we were doing all this like cool car stuff, right? So I'm like, cool, I can't, I can't like, I just, I'm not gonna say anything and it's gonna be fine. So we take turns driving this car. Uh, so he goes and he does his laps at the Nürburgring first. And I, I go to the bathroom in this place, like while I'm waiting and I pull up a YouTube video and I'm like, okay, let's learn how to drive manual transmission. I like do this crash course on YouTube and I memorize the process of like clutch and like shifting. And I'm like, I don't understand why I have to do this now, but I'm just going to memorize the process and regurgitate it. And I was like, it's just like school. It's like a plug and chug equation. Just, just regurgitate the equation and it's all going to be okay. Um, and so I did that. I, I regurgitated the equation of uh, driving manual and I did not stall the car. And I went and I drove the Nürburgring. Uh, we did a couple of laps and I was like, you know, that was actually pretty cool. Um, and so uh, when I came home, uh, I found autocross. I finally found like some outlet of, uh, of driving. I think it was with BMW CCA because uh, mm -hmm. I had a couple of friends doing autocross. And then I got like, I got super deep into autocross uh, and autocross was my gateway drug to what I currently do. Um, 
autocross was awesome and i i tell everyone like if even if you you like you don't want to commit to like a track go do an autocross you, you'll get you'll either get hooked or you'll be like oh it was okay um but for most people it's a gateway drug and for 50 bucks you can go drive your car and learn the limits of it uh so i did that for a year and then i bought an e36 m3 and um that i eventually built to be my very first race car um but that was kind of how i got started and uh, that was my gateway drug, and um, I, I definitely hit the crack pipe very hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people get hooked for sure. So um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear everyone's story. So I, I have to ask, uh, with you know you being a, a successful female racing, um, not everybody is comfortable with females racing. And, oh yes, <laughs> yeah. So do you? I mean have it, it sounds like you've had to experience that and um is there anything that you can share and and then also obviously we want to encourage other women to get into the sport yes um absolutely uh i have dealt with my fair share of discrimination whether that's sexism or racism um i have dealt with my fair share of that at the track and uh you know it's funny because when i first started uh i i didn't feel like i dealt with a lot of that and you know i think part of it was no one felt threatened right everyone was like oh you know this nice girl's gonna come and and try try to like learn how to drive her car and everyone was super nice um and i think i really started to see that come about when I was making really big improvements and I was showing a lot of progress and I was looking, you know, how can I, how can I get to the next level? Was it, um, you know, how can I get instructing? Um, how can I go compete in time trial? And I think um, that's kind of, that's kind of where it started, I think. Uh, and I'll be honest, it goes on even today. Uh, I still deal with that today. And I realize that that is not going to change. It's, it's a little sad because, you know, it's 2023 and, we shouldn't be dealing with that, um, but it's just kind of the nature of our sport and our society, the way it is at the time being. Obviously, we're trying to all move in a better direction and stuff like this, um, you know, talking about it out in the open, uh, I think it brings a lot of awareness to it. And it is really important for people to realize that this kind of discrimination does still exist and is very, very active. And, you know, I, I think a lot of clubs have done a really great job, but, um, you know, there's always a bad apple. At the same time, you can't let them spoil what you have. Um, and that's kind of my advice is, look, there's always going to be someone who dislikes you or for whatever reason. Um, it can be, you know, that you're a woman or that, you know, that I'm Chinese and they just they just don't want to compete with you. Uh, and there is nothing you can do to to make those people like you or make them be nice to you. They, you know, you just have to let that roll off your back and you are going to have to develop thick skin. Uh, it's motorsports is a selfish sport to start in. And um, there are some really, really great people focus on them. But, um, you know, it's just it's about just ignoring the rest. And in certain cases, it's about calling out what you see. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are there are many instances where in the beginning, I I stayed quiet. I stayed quiet as I dealt with a lot of the discrimination. Uh, thinking like, okay, well, you know, this is just how our society is. Um, but I think it's important, you know, to recognize, hey, 
the only way we're going to change for the better is to speak out against it. So there are certain things you're going to just have to have thick skin about, but there are other things, you know, and it's determining what those things are that you're going to stand up and speak up for yourself about. Yep. Yep. Well, you mentioned earlier, you know, you were trying to do whatever you could to get to the next level. So what's the next level for you? You know, it's funny. Um, back when I was doing HPD, I always said, man, I would never compete in time trial. Those, those people are completely crazy, like, you know, going for times and everything. I'm like, I just want to safely do, you know, this DE stuff. And, you know, sure enough, the next level found me and I was time trialing within a couple of events. And then I was like, you know, I would never instruct. Those people are crazy being willing to sit in a car with somebody else going, you know, 160 miles an hour in whatever car you're you're surprised with that weekend. And yet there I was, you know, the next year instructing and that took my driving to the next level because I was able to work with people and help them with their driving, um, which kind of led to me doing coaching with Skip Barber and me now coaching with a couple of different private clients. Um, so after after a couple of years, oh, and then I, I always said I would never go racing either. Um, and yet here I am, you know, years later, I'm like racing and racing everything under the sun. Um, so, you know, I, I look back and I kind of laugh at all of that. And I'm like, I would never say any of that again. Um, I don't know what the next level is, but I do think that if I just keep doing what I do and doing what I love, I think that will find me. Uh, you know, this year for me, the big highlight has been uh, the opportunity to race the GT3 car. Uh, not a lot of people get that chance. And, um, you know, having that on my driving resume is is uh, something that I think will help open doors, especially considering, uh, you know, our, our win. And um, I just I, I think that there's so much out there. If you just put out what you love, um, you know, the universe will find a way to help you get to the next level. Awesome. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armor All, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armor All, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So do you do you have support right now and that do you have sponsors and things like that? Yes, um, I have a lot of sponsors. Uh, first off, Tree Racing, um, you know, they have been absolutely phenomenal uh, in terms of taking care of my car. Uh, they store it, they maintain it. Uh, they do all sorts of work on it and, uh, you know, they bring it to the track and all I have to do is drive it. Um, they have been absolutely phenomenal support this year. Uh, it has been an absolute game changer in how I race because, uh, especially with BMW, there are more races during the weekends. There are four races every weekend rather than the two that I'm used to. So um, it allows me to really just kind of focus on myself and, you know, stay hydrated, work with other clients. Uh, and, you know, I can still hop in my car and know that I can be on my A game because that car is prepared to the best of its ability. Um, also, Hoosier Tire. Uh, I have been running Hoosiers since... Oh my gosh, since my time trialing days when they were like A6s and um, R6s, like back when it was like the 
the previous uh, compound. Um, I have always been a Hoosier girl. I think that they make the absolute best tire. Uh, I use the R6s, the A6s, and then um, some of the R7s, but I was a really, and I still am a huge fan of the A7 tire. It's a DOT compound, so um, you know you can run that in NASA, SECA, also BMW. Uh, it is a phenomenal tire and it lasts such a long time. Uh, I can actually, I, I can actually hold on to my tire for quite a bit. Um, and they're still incredibly quick. I am trying one of their new compounds, uh, this year, uh, it's the Hoosier Slick compound. Uh, I just ran the medium compound and I have a set of sticker medium hard, medium hard compounds that, uh, I'm probably going to try out for the next race. Uh, I'm really stoked about these tires. Uh, for me, it's like a huge learning experience to put a true slick on my car and just see what it can do. Uh, because I've been running the a seven for so long, I've learned a ton on these tires and, uh, you know, I'm going to take that with me to the next race. So I'm really stoked about that. Awesome. You know, you mentioned that you started instructing, uh, just a couple of years in maybe, um, what, yep. what, what got you to do that? And then how, how does somebody go, like, what was it like when you, your first day instructing? Like, uh, how do you know what to tell people? <laughs> Um, so I always, so I never thought I would instruct because I was like, people are absolutely crazy to hop into the passenger seat of a total rando, like who's going to go take their car on track for the very first time, nonetheless. Um, and I, I always just said I would never do it. And, um, the one thing I always enjoyed was getting rides from friends, um, more experienced friends at the track. And I was sitting with a friend at VIR and, uh, very quick, very quick gentleman. And he did something and I knew he was going to go off track. Like we were going to go flying into the grass. It, and I think I knew before he knew um, because he was surprised by the fact we went into the grass. And I knew like, as we, as we went through this turn, I was like, we're not making this. And like, I was like, okay, whatever. Like I knew where, I knew exactly where the car was going to go. And I knew we were going to be fine. Um, but he was actually surprised by it. And he was like, oh, he's like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, no, I was like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I knew that was going to happen. And he goes, how did you know that was going to happen? And I was like, well, I just like, you had this gut feeling. Like, I just, I knew, like, and I knew where we we're going to end up. And he was like, oh, he's like, that's interesting. He's like, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> and he was like, and I was one control in the car. And so um, that's, I think that was kind of like my light bulb moment. Like, hey, maybe like I have what it takes to instruct if, you know, I can essentially predict where the car is going to go before even the driver can predict it sometimes. Um, and again, this is when I was first starting out, but that was kind of what put the idea in my head. And um, so I started to, to instruct with NASA um, and I like I loved it. I did instructor clinic with NASA Northeast and uh, my first student. Uh, that was definitely trial by fire because up until that point, I was used to sitting right seat with a bunch of very experienced drivers who knew what they were doing. And if, I mean, I, you could not have picked a more green person to give me as my first student. Um, this gentleman, he brought a Z3 to the track and it was not his. And he lived in New York City, which is why the car was not his. A friend had given it to him to drive for the weekend. Uh, and he doesn't drive on a normal on a normal basis because he lives in New York City. So 
Yeah, so a guy who drives, you know, a handful of times a year is now armed with a car that's not his at a racetrack. Like, what what could what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> um, and so, like, he's terrified out of his mind. Um, and I, like, the only thing that you can do is, like, verbally walk them through what they need to do in order to keep them safe and keep everybody else safe. Um, that was definitely trial by fire for me because... Like I said, I mean, most people at least drive to work every day and they're comfortable behind the wheel of a car. And, um, you know, this guy was like, hey, I drive I drive like six times a year. Um, you know, so we, we had to start with like, all right, let's just make sure mirrors are in the right spot. And, um, you know, it was it was almost like teaching teaching like a teenager how to drive um, because he had such little, such little experience. But, um, you know, towards the end of the day, he, he finally got the flow of, of the track and the shifting. And, um, you know, he had a really, really great time. And he was like, oh, like, I'm going to come out and do this again. Um, and I think that was that was really important to me because, you know, you want everyone to have a good time. You want everyone to have the same experience and the same love for the hobby that you do. And so uh, I got a lot of satisfaction out of that. And I did that for uh, quite some time. And then uh, I got picked up by Skip Barber Racing when they kind of rebranded back in 2018. And um, I, you know, I started doing coaching with them. And so, uh, you know, a more advanced crowd that is geared specifically towards the goal of racing. Um, we, you know, we gave, we essentially put them through a very rigorous training program so that they can receive their SECA comp license within three days. Uh, so we, you know, I did that for a while. Um, and now I work mostly with um, some private clients uh, doing test days or, um, you know, race weekends at BMW or NASA. Got it. Do you know Carter over at Skip Barber? Yeah, yeah. Carter's good people. I like him. Yeah, yeah. I got to I got to interview him um, when they're doing the SRO race in CODA. So that was fun. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so you have been to probably many, many tracks. Uh, do you have any favorites? Oh, yes. I have I have a lot of favorites. I don't know that I could pick, pick, pick um, a couple of them, two or three, whatever. So Mid-Ohio, to me, is one of my favorites. Um, it is tight. It is technical. You essentially never have uh, a moment to breathe there. My car being light, it does very, very well through most of that track. Uh, and I raced that in SECA. So in T1, you know, I'm going up against these high-powered Mustangs Corvettes, uh, which, you know, they're on the heavier side. So they, they, they're they not quite as quick for the turns. Uh, and I definitely have an advantage at that track. Uh, I think there's a, there's a horse for every track, right? And, um, you know, my BMW is the right car to have at that track, which um, we have always come out on the podium every time we go. Uh, I, I love that track. It's incredibly slippery in the rain. Um, it's very technical, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a real driver's track. So that's really high up on my list. Um, I, I did really like uh, Road Atlanta when we were there in March. Uh, coming down that hill, uh, you know, chasing some of those those high power B mod cars. Uh, that was that was a real thrill, uh, and I would love to go back. Um, you know, and and race a bunch of other different cars there. Um, those two are are pretty high. Sebring and and Road America are also are also up there. Those are some real good, you know, high horsepower tracks. Uh, you can't go wrong with either of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
so that we're talking about the tracks, but do you have any really memorable races? Because, you know, let's just say, let's just call this one the good memory. Any really good memories of a race and, you know, what happened? Um, I would say probably some of my best races were at Mid-Ohio, which is probably why that track is up there. Um, every time we've gone there racing in, uh, I think it's a super tour event. Uh, you know, I've always had incredibly close battles, um, you know, both with my teammates, Hugh Stewart and Jonathan Vasquez, and also, um, you know, against the other T1 competitors. Most of those battles were bumper to bumper uh, and, you know, some photo finishes there. So um, probably some of the best races happened there, I would say. Ooh. So um, and then I knew I knew that you you had got injured once, at least once. Yep. So can you tell me a little bit about like what happened? Yeah. Um, so that was actually the very first year I had the E46 built and um, Hugh and I were on like an absolute rampage. Like I was racing every weekend. I think it was eight out of 10 weekends in a row I was racing. Um, and we were at Thompson Motor Speedway up in, I think it's in Connecticut. Um, and it was the Sunday race and, um, you know, it, our, our race was late in the afternoon. So I think everyone was like really antsy to, to just kind of race. It was hot. Um, and we, we were out on our, on our, um, on our outlap and someone in like the back row, like jump starts and like just starts the race from the last turn and like blows down to turn one, doesn't realize like they never threw the green. So then we like, we have to regroup and this guy like almost hits everybody, like trying to shuffle back to where he belonged. Um, and we, we actually do get the green the next time around. Uh, but uh, he had he had jumped it and he you know and it was not on purpose by any means um but there was a definitely a lack of awareness and he he hit my car and i ended up going head first into concrete at 110 miles an hour um and so that was that's actually the only like crash that i've ever had in my life um and it was it was the big one it was um it was a massive impact because I didn't hit tires. I didn't hit another car. There was nothing to dissipate that energy other than a massive concrete block. So um, my car was completely destroyed. Uh, like it, there was nothing salvageable out of that. Uh, and I immediately got taken to the ER because everything hurt. I mean, I, I jumped out of the car because I saw fluids and I didn't know what the fluid was. And I was like, I'm just, I'm going to get out. Um, and I like lay down and luckily Evie was just stationed right there. So it didn't take them too long to get to me, um, but they carted me off to the ER. I, you know, MRI and X-rays and all sorts of stuff uh, that lasted through the night. But I had broken a bone. Uh, I broke my my big toe on my right foot. So a lot of people think that I broke my left foot because part of the impact um, was on the driver's side front corner. Um, but I actually broke my right foot because when I hit the wall, I still had my foot on the brake pedal. And so all of that energy transferred through the car, through the brake pedal, and then it broke bones in my foot. Um, and the x-rays showed a couple of broken bones and the doctors were like, these are, you know, it's not a big deal. Wear a boot for six to eight weeks and you're gonna be fine. Uh, so in the six to eight weeks, um, you know, I was in a boot hobbling around, building another car for runoffs. And um, when I raced at runoffs in the new car, every time I went for the brake pedal, 
there was like this lightning pain that shot all the way up my leg. And I I kept calling my doctor. I said, something is wrong. Like, you know, you guys said it would be, it would be healed. But I was like, I'm feeling the same kind of pain I felt when I broke my foot that day. And they're like, no, no, like you're fine. They did more x-rays. And it wasn't until I think December of that year that they, they actually did another CT scan. They're like, oh, we missed a bone. Like you have to be on crutches now for six months. Oh. Non-weight bearing. I know, I know. So that uh, the injury, like it, it, I basically was on crutches like from July of 2019 to May of 2020. Oh my gosh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned earlier we talked about you know how people should start, and you suggested they should give autocross a try. Now, just to be clear they can bring their own car to that, right? I mean, they, they're not going to yeah. be renting a car. That they'll be bringing their own. Yes. And so that's kind of what keeps the cost of autocross so low. Like, you can literally bring whatever car you drive to work in to an autocross. Um, some clubs will allow SUVs uh, and bring your bring your SUV. There's It's, it's a very controlled environment. Um, I always tell people they have no excuse because a lot of people will be like, oh, well... I need to upgrade my turbo or I need to put new tires or I need to buy whatever sway bar. And I'm like, your excuse is invalid because when I was instructing autocross, there was literally a kid who I think he was like 18 or something. Um, but he had stolen his mom's minivan because his mom was out of town for the day. So he took his mom's minivan and brought it out to the autocross. And he didn't care. He didn't care that he was driving his mom's minivan. He didn't care that it wasn't a manual. He didn't care that it was front wheel drive. He didn't care. He had wheels and he was going to race this thing. Um, and that kid walked away with lessons on car control that most people will never get if all they have are excuses. So I would say your excuse is invalid because if somebody can come bring their minivan out and learn from it, you don't need that turbo. You don't need you know, that sway bar, you don't need that fancy suspension. Um, all you need to do is come out and drive your car with no excuses. Yeah. Well, um, how, you know, you do private instructing, right? Is yep. it, so, so first of all, where are you located at? Uh, I am in the DMV, the DC metro area. Uh, I live right in Virginia. So I'm pretty close to Summit Point, New Jersey. Uh, even BIR is not too big of a haul. So if you are going to do private coaching, is it generally in person and then you meet them at the track or is it any of, any of it virtual or anything like that? So I do uh, so I do both in person and virtual. Um, lately, I've done more in person just because I've, I've been at some of the same racetracks as my customers. I also travel to any racetrack that customers want to be at. So if they want to travel, um, you know, we, we also just go wherever they want to go, um, where they want to test or where they want to race. Uh, for some people, I've also done virtual coaching. Uh, it's as simple as they upload some labs to YouTube. Um, and, you know, I watch them and we set aside some time and we talk about that. I walk them through the data, everything that I see in the data, and we can break down you know, videos lap by lap, turn by turn, and we walk through it and, um, you know, we do coaching that way so that it kind of cuts down on, um, you know, the the cost of that because it's like, hey, I already had some laps, you know, some video from last time. Can you just take a look at this before I go to my next race or my next DE? And um, it, it makes it a little bit more, a uh, little bit more accessible. Got it. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you when they want your help? 
Uh, you can reach me at christinalamracing.com. Uh, my email address is hello at christinalamracing. Uh, you can also reach me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, my handle across all of those is the same. It is at Christina Y. Lamb. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Well, uh, is there anybody else you want to give a shout out to before we end? Yes, absolutely. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Shree, my boyfriend, who has been a massive supporter of all of my racing since we started dating. Um, it is it is definitely a very rare thing to, I think, find someone who has the same passion as you to the same level um, with kind of the same mentality. Uh, so I feel really lucky that, uh, you know, we get to spend that time together at the racetrack and off it, um, you know, finding ways to both improve our, our own racing and, uh, you know, just have a good time in general. Uh, I, you know, he came out to support me when I was racing the GT3 car. And, you know, I, I think that says a lot because a lot of people would look at that and be like, oh, how can I also make this my opportunity? Where, you know, I I feel like, you know, he was just there and he was like, you know, hey, hey I'm just here to support you. Whatever you need, I'm here to support you and this opportunity that you have. Um, and like, it's just, it's so rare for you to find like your person like that. So, um, I feel really lucky that we get to share racing as a couple, um, and that we can support each other like individually and together in that, in that aspect. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and does your, now you mentioned your family were the traditional type family. Do they, do they follow along? Are they fans? Do they go to the races or not really? Um, they do they do not support my racing in any capacity um i so i think they follow along but um not they're kind of hoping that uh, i quit uh that's that, that, oh. it's a, I, i'm definitely the black sheep of my family in that aspect um you know and again they are very traditional they wish that i would just you know do the nice um be the nice nice housewife kind of thing uh and they would like me to just kind of stop with these ridiculous hobbies but um uh, you know, I don't know. They they've never come out to a race, and maybe I'll convince them someday. Um, my my sister Dory was gonna try to come out to bring her family to watch a GC three race, but her daughter got injured. So um, maybe we'll we'll be able to bring family out to the next one. Well, I hope so. Um, hopefully, and I'll get out there to see you um, at one of these places. Um, I am gonna be going to at least two or three BMW CCA events this year, so. Awesome, yeah, then, yeah, that'll be great. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you there. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate all your time and uh, wish you the best of luck and looking forward to see what's next for you. Awesome, thank you so much for having me on here. I wanna thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode and I hope We've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like. But I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag. 